Giants. Bo's 11-game hit streak is the third longest active hit streak in the majors. Cedric Mullins of the Orioles off to a great start. He's hitting 15 straight, and Didi Gregorius of the Phillies has a 12-gamer. Breaking ball high in the air. Hicks ranging back at the wall, at the track. Get out of here. God, a walk-off home run for Bo Bichette. Have a day, Bo. His other home run went to right field. We mentioned the base hiss. It only took him 86 games to get to 50 career extra base hits. Add two more today. And the Blue Jays are going to win the series against the Yankees, just like they did at Yankee Stadium on a walk-off this time. Hey, what's going on? This is Athletics presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers this week, are Amal Delich and Mike Tassoni. And today is Thursday, April the 15th. Ben, midway through the first half of the first month, of uh, the second pandemic MLB season. And so you had actually dropped into the show notes here that the Blue Jays are six and six. And if you had not done that, I would not have even been able to tell you what record the Blue Jays hold, how many games they've won and lost, but I would have estimated, like I would have guessed that they were below 500. So considering everything that has happened for them to be just like, you know, humming along at 500, it's not so bad. Yeah, they're not in a bad spot. And I agree. I mean, I haven't been refreshing the standings page very often at all. I think today was the first time I did. The Red Sox, I think, are nine and three. So that's kind of surprising. We haven't had Christian Ryan producing in a couple of weeks, but he would he be insufferable be right now very, about that. Yes. Noted Red Sox fan, Christian Ryan. Go ahead. It's been an interesting start to the year for the Jays. And I think when you look at the six games against the Yankees, which that's half their schedule at this point, to be four and two against the Yankees, to have overcome these injuries, to be in a spot where they are playing some pretty good baseball, that's not bad. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of things have been happening. Like, it seems like every day the Charlie Montoyo Zoom is just like, yep, Charlie's going to go off the top. And somebody's been scratched from a start. Somebody's going to the IL. Someone's got COVID. Somebody's had a setback in their recovery. I mean, it's every day there has been some sort of adversity for this club. So, uh, yeah, I mean, getting, you know, 500 through through mid-April is fine. I think if you're 500 through the end of April, I think you feel fine about your team. You haven't dug yourself a big hole. Obviously, you haven't, you know, gone up by a ton uh, in the standings. But, uh, you know, I think that's a, a fine place to be for a club. Absolutely. And you, you have to keep in mind, too, I mean, George Springer hasn't played a game for this team and he's their best player. And, you know, we've obviously won't see Kirby Yates all year. There have been other significant injuries to this team. So it's not just that they're six and six or just that they're six and six against some good competition, but it's really in the face of some big injuries. And I think as much as we might like to fantasize about the day when all right the whole team is back and everyone's healthy the reality is they're going to have to juggle injuries all year so this is part of an ongoing challenge but it's one that they've risen to so far yeah you kind of hear some of the oh what's the playoff rotation going to look like like what's this team going to look like september i don't know man what's this team going to look like next week dude like how's this team going to get through april (laughs) i forget about uh september or october so like here's just a couple of things that have happened in the last couple weeks uh george springer still sidelined with quad issue as you said has yet to play a game for the toronto blue jays uh julian merriweather is uh on the 10-day il now with a strained oblique tyler chatwood 
is on the 10-day IL with a triceps issue. Ross Stripling was scratched from a start this week, two hours prior to first pitch with forearm tightness. And Teoscar Hernandez has COVID-19 and is in isolation and is away from the team. Uh, we kind of talked all spring, Ben, about how depth was going to be tested and about how like the 2021 season was going to be a true test of your 40-man roster and organizational depth. And man, here we are, and it has materialized in a very big way for the Blue Jays. Absolutely. And yeah, this depth is getting tested. I think, you know, especially when these injuries come in the midst of a stretch where they have 16 scheduled games in a row, there's no time to catch their breath. That'll come a bit later in the month when they have four off days. But, you know, so far it's been every single day they have to make these adjustments. And so that latest injury to Ross Stripling really forces the team then to adjust. Okay. This means TJ Zoic is coming in and then Trent Thornton has to be used. So those guys are not candidates to start that opening game of the Royals series. And somehow, you know, thanks to a Bo Bichette walk-off home run and a two home run day from Bo, they end up winning that game. And that's great. But of course, there's that kind of cascading challenge of what do you do the next day? What do you do the day after that? Because the pitching staff in particular is really taking a toll. And it's not just the Blue Jays is what is kind of important to remember. Like this is MLB wide. You know, everyone across the game coming into this season was terrified about the health ramifications of coming off of 60 and going into 162. The virus obviously still being very prevalent um, in, in communities. And yeah, I mean, two weeks in, everyone's fears have materialized. Like, look, let me just like, I'll just pull up on roster resource here, like the league wide injury report right right off the top you see like five houston astros because houston's having their own covid situation right now and that includes by the way jose altuve alex bregman jordan alvarez there's like two mvp candidates (laughs) in there that the houston astros are without and then even just like in the last week players to hit il max freed christian pash uh lorenzo kane max stassi miguel cabrera Anthony Rendon, Archie Bradley, Tyler O'Neill, Chris Archer, Julio Tehran, Dexter Fowler, Colton Wong. I mean, it's just like it's rampant across MLB. It's like every club is dealing with injury adversity and is dealing with like not only obviously, you know, the COVID side of things, but also the like soft tissue um, and workload side of things and the routines being disrupted side of things uh and and so really it's you know what the blue jays are, are going through right now like it, it's certainly tough and it's making them test you know reach into their 40 man and test their depth but it's not exactly exceptional in the global landscape of mlb yeah i think that's fair i think every team you're very right to say that every team is dealing with this i think this is more than i would have expected for the jays and i think it's more than average for the jays at the same time you know all right, you have to deal with that. There will be other months this season where the Jays have fewer injuries than average and other teams will have it worse. So as you say, it's a test of that depth. It's a test of can Santiago Espinal and Josh Palacios and TJ Zoic come up, Joel Pyamps, I mean, Anthony Castro. Some of those guys have done pretty well. So that's a sign that the depth of this 40-man roster can hold its own at least a little bit. And so that's going to have to continue because these injuries in, in a lot of cases are not just super short term, like in the case of Merriweather, for instance, and he's probably the guy that, as we were talking about last week, I, you know, we we're talking about him as a huge difference maker for this team, potentially. Well, he might be out for an extended period. We don't know. So that means that depth will continue to get chances. Yeah, all season. It's going to be a thing all year because, look, no club really knows how to prevent injuries. You know, all we know about 
injuries and about health, I mean, I think is that it's more likely to happen when you're fatigued, right? So uh, tired players have uh, sort of more trouble maintaining like strong physical positions. You know, they kind of like mentally, they, they react a little more slowly. Um, maybe they haven't fully recovered from sort of the stress and the workload that they experienced during their last bout of like playing a game or, or training. And so like all of a sudden, you know, that little sort of grab in your back or that sort of dull pain in your calf, you know, that soreness in your hip, Julian Merriweather, uh, you know, it worsens. Now all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to do something explosive like throwing a ball, you know, a baseball 99, 100 miles an hour, and boom, now it's an injury. And that's going to be a reality all season is what I'm saying because the schedule is what it is. Like you said, 16 scheduled days in 16 days. Um, and there's a lot of travel in there as well. And the travel is what it is. So like as a team, all you can do is just try to manage that workload and just try to manage that fatigue and combat it you know like don't get upset when you see the blue jays are giving a guy a day off or giving a guy dh at that or the fact that uh i haven't looked it up but i would bet you like what the blue jays have played 12 games i bet you they've used probably 10 different lineups um like don't get upset about that like this is how teams manage that fatigue and that workload it's even stuff away from games like you'll see pitchers skipping bullpens you know you'll see pitchers getting back a day like Hunjin Ryu has and Ryu is a guy who all the time skips bullpens in between outings just to try to avoid injuries stay as best stay as as rested and and capable as he can um like this is all you can really do to try to prevent some of these scenarios you know as much as teams will try and should try of course to prevent injuries and keep players healthy I just don't think it's ever going to happen. And maybe that's like an overly defeatist mindset or viewpoint to have with this. But as long as you have these guys out there playing 162 games and putting max effort into their swings and into their pitches, like how could you not have some injuries? It's going to happen. So it's really a question of how good are your guys when they're healthy and who's next when it comes time to backfill and replace. Yeah, I think it's going to have to move to a point, and this is somewhere, you know, years down the line, but where you just lighten the schedule. There's just fewer yeah. games played in a regular season, and every Monday is an off day for every team or something like that. Like, that's just, that's the only way it's going to happen. You know, as it pertains to Blue Jays pitching, you've got what right now, Ben? Like, three starters you feel good about? Ryu, Ray, Mats? Yeah. So yep. about it, <laughs> which is honestly, I mean, that's probably two more than they would have had at most points in the last couple of seasons, you know? So like last year, obviously they had Ryu Walker was good for a while. Shoemaker was good for a while in 2019. Like they had like a one man rotation. They had absolutely nothing to the point that signing Tanner Roark was like, oh my goodness, they got some stability. This is so good. So they've come a long way in a sense. And we don't know how long Ray and Nats are going to look good. But at this point, yeah, I would say they have three starters that you feel pretty good about. So for the rest of the month, you're trying to maximize the amount of outings that those guys pitch. And uh, I think there's a way to do that uh, because you've got four off days later this month. Like you got a weird kind of stretch where there's like four off days in the span of like 10 or 11 days there. So the Blue Jays can actually sort of get creative and find a way over their remaining 12 or so games this month to actually have those three guys start like nine of them. And you can do that with like still having Hunjin Ryu on, you know, getting his five days rest. You could have everybody get their five days rest. And then so you've got sort of, and this is dangerous trying to plan things out that far in advance because just watch, you know, Robbie Ray will come out of his next start with something or you know, Stephen Matz will something will happen to bullpen or whatever. But 
you can kind of pencil that in and chart that out. And then you're just kind of filling in in between with like a TJ Zoig outing here, uh, you know, a Tanner Roark outing there. We'll see how Ross Stripling's feeling and what this forearm thing is going to lead to. Maybe Anthony Kay comes up and makes a start. Maybe you have like a sort of weird bullpen day where like, uh, you know, if Chatwood's fine and comes off the IL at some point, he opens for uh, Trent Thornton yep. or something like that. But I think that's what we, you know, the the goal right now starting pitching wise for the Blue Jays over the rest of the month is just to maximize the amount of Ryu, Mats, and Ray that they're using. That's very reasonable. And I think when you look at how they can do it without necessarily having to push those guys beyond their normal uh, threshold, then that's great. You know, you can use them on every four, um, after four days rest, after five days rest, mix those guys in, maximize your good starters, minimize your bad starters, keep your bullpen in the mix. I mean, that's on paper how you want to do it. So we'll see how easy that is to execute in practice. But, you know, certainly I think the Jays showed by moving Tanner Roark, you know, first skipping his start, moving him to the bullpen, like they're not beholden to the idea of, oh, he's a starter. We're paying him 12 million. Therefore, he has to pitch every fifth day. Like they're very clearly willing to move off of that idea, which I think is good because he hasn't been effective since 2019. So it's not to say you DFA him. It's not to say you make a rash move, as we talked about last week. But you don't have to start him as often as you start Hyunjin Ryu because Ryu clearly is way better. So you want to maximize your good pitchers and just keep the other guys around for depth and insurance and extra innings. So Tanner Roark pitched on April the 6th in Texas, which was now like basically 10 days ago. Like what's his role on this team? <laughs> the extra innings man. Like what are you looking for? At the 11th inning. Yeah. Is that it? Yes. So that's a, an expensive thing to have in your bullpen. And not even just like the salary or whatever, the money's a sunk cost, but also like the roster spot. Well, I mean, I think that's a role that has to be filled, right? And maybe you think Tommy Malone's better for that role, in which case there's a discussion to be had. You got a few guys filling that role. Yeah, they got two right now, for sure. But I think you need someone... I mean, TJ Zwick might be filling that role over the, the coming weeks, right? Like, if there aren't going to be starts for him... Not right now, right? Because he just started. Sure. So you need someone... I mean, you got Trent Thornton in there who can give you some length. Like, it's just a weird fit right now. Tanner Roark in this bullpen no it is it's a weird fit for sure I just think it's a role that exists where it's like you need someone who's available for that all right you know we're, we're past the 9th 10th 11th who knows how long this game is going to go someone has to fill that role and so I don't think Roark is a bad candidate for it or to be a depth starter in case all right you got to rain out you have a double header someone gets hurt there's some value in having a stretched out professional pitcher who can do that it's just a little weird from a like from a team perspective. You've got the redundancy with him and Malone, and then you know also you're not you know you could be using that roster spot in probably a better way. Uh, so you're not really doing best by the team. You're not really doing best by Tanner Roark because he has no idea when he's going to pitch. I don't know when the guy throws a bullpen now. How does he stay stretched out? You know, like he wants to get better. Like trust me, he doesn't want to be giving up bombs every time he's on the mound, right? Like he wants to continue working on what he's been working at to get back to the guy who's been in the past or just find a way to survive in the big leagues with diminished stuff, which is something that pitchers can do. It's positive. Look, time alone throws 84, right? Like he's getting guys out. Like he needs to be working at his craft and trying to find a way to like continue his MLB career. So you're not really doing best by him. Like I I don't know. Like I I just I feel like the rubber's got to meet the road a little bit with the Tanner 
Roark thing here. Yeah. So, I mean, you say that there could be, and I kind of like Roark more than Malone, which is kind of damning with faint praise, I guess. But um, I think he's better suited for that role. But, you know, what's the alternative, right? To borrow a word from a certain GM, what's the alternative to having Tanner Roark or having someone in that long relief role? Are you calling up a bench player? What's the alternative there? Yeah, I mean, you could, you could bring up another position player. Um, you could also just like have the one long relief guy, whether it's right. Roark or Malone, and then use that other spot for like a Castro or a Ty Tice or like somebody who can like probably just miss more bats <laughs> and like get higher leverage outs for you in shorter stints. So you're on board with having one of those guys, though? Yeah, you need one of those guys. Totally. This is my whole point, Ben. They have two. Right. It's redundant. So I guess in my in my opinion, then I would say Cobb Malone. If when you need to get to that point, just because he's he's throwing eighty four over under Tanner Roark starts over the rest of the season point five. Oh, definitely taking the over on point five. Yeah, like starts for the Toronto Blue Jays for the rest of the season. Yeah, four point five over. <laughs> Blue Jays fans everywhere, I'd hate you for yeah. saying that. I think that's probably a more fair over-under, but um, I could see it going either way at 4.5. All right. RIP your mentions, buddy. We're going to take a break, but when it continues on At The Letters, we'll wrap up the rest of uh, the odds and ends on At The Letters. It continues on at letters, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers this week are Amal Delich and Mike Tassoni. And it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. This week, I want to give a little shine to Josh Palacios, who is a big leaguer and has been essentially an everyday player for like a week, playing uh, over Jonathan Davis, which is like probably another topic, by the way. Like, man, like Jonathan Davis like finally gets you know, makes a big league roster out of spring training. You know, he's been watching guys like Billy McKinney and, and Derek Fisher and Socrates Brito play over him for years, finally on the big league team. <laughs> now they won't put him on the field. Uh, but anyway, it's about Josh Palacios, uh, who is on the field. He's playing every day and uh, bringing a lot of energy and uh, just like a fun guy to watch play. I don't think that this is going to be, um, like, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I don't think this is going to be like a four or five win player someday in the big leagues. Like, uh, you know, I think Josh Palacios kind of is what he is, but it is just kind of fun to watch him have his moment over the last week as the Blue Jays, uh, you know, reached a deep uh, down their outfield depth chart. Absolutely. And he seems to really be enjoying it, uh, of course, as you'd expect. But, you know, the moment after he gets his first big league hit uh, or scores his first big league run. There's a lot of excitement there. No balls in the strike to Josh Palacios. Davis at second. Jansen at first. Davis is running. The ball is bunted to third. Rendon throws to first. Not in time. It'll be a hit for Josh Palacios, his first big league hit. And it's funny because they're playing in this tiny ballpark. And so it feels in some ways, and I've really enjoyed watching the games in Dunedin so far. I think it plays actually pretty well on TV and has a different feel compared to so many games. But despite the setting, this is Major League Baseball. And there's no ambiguity about that whatsoever when you're playing against Mike Trout or Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge or Albert Pujols, right? I mean, these guys bring so much to uh, that Major League environment when they're playing against them. And so for Espinal, for Palacios, for I'm sure some of the young pitchers, maybe a Castro, 
it's a chance to prove themselves, and Palacios has really made the most of it, and he's playing well. So that's a good sign for the Jays. Whenever you see a guy who has been in the minors for a long time really grinded, and then they finally get to the big leagues, like there is something very infectious about watching them play those first few MLB games because they're clearly just like so happy to be there. And they try so hard, right? Like you mentioned that first hit. Just watched like Josh Palacios just sprinting the whole way up the line trying to beat that thing out. Ended up with like a four for four day at the walk, by the way. But like, you know, look at the celebration afterwards. Just like the huge smile and like living in the moment. Like, I don't know, man. Like it is like uh, it, it uplifts my spirits a little bit during a pretty rough patch to be living in Toronto right now, man. Because like, look, the miners are a grind. And for a guy like Josh Palacios who spent like five years living that grind and all the realities of minor league life like i'm sure this guy has done the eight nine hour bus rides overnight ahead of like a 10 a.m first pitch the next day and you're like you're coming back from the road trip to your two-bedroom condo you're sharing with like four other dudes and you're tired all the time and you know you don't feel your best like he's lived that grind and now he's in the big leagues and he's clearly enjoying it i like seeing that man for sure. It's a great story. Um, five years ago, he was drafted. So, you know, not the quickest ascent, not the slowest ascent through the minor leagues. He was part of that 2016 class. And, you know, when you look back at it, TJ Zoic was their first rounder that year. So bit of a, you know, we'll see. I'd say at this point, that looks like a missed opportunity. Then second round, Boba Shett, that looks like an incredible pick. Fourth round, Palacios. And fifth round, Kevin Biggio, which also looks like a, a really good pick. So huh. interesting kind of to look back. Usually it takes about five years to get a clear sense of what a draft looks like and what it's going to bring to an organization. But in this case, that looks like a strong group. And the other thing, I know Zoic got first round money and I know Bichette got paid. So I doubt Palacios got much of a bonus despite being somewhat high in the draft. I don't know if you have it in front of you there. Yes. Oh yeah. What do you get? Well, it's a pretty nice bonus, $438,000. Uh, in the context of the Major League Draft, that's not that much, though. In that context, though, that's not a, a huge bonus. Right. It's like, And that kind of gets back to what I was saying. Like, This isn't you know, like a super high pick kind of bonus baby type, right? Like $438,000 is not going to last him the rest of his life. No. Uh, you know, a lot of it's probably already gone, man. The agent took a chunk. He's had to pay for wherever he's been living in the minors. Taxes. Taxes, right? Like he's had to, you know, pay for everything that he's done as a human over the last five years. Trust me, minor league pay like is not making ends meet. We all know the story of minor leaguers who work as freaking Uber drivers and, you know, personal trainers at Bally's Total Fitness or whatever during the off seasons. So you live that year over year and you finally make it to the majors and even just like the kind of dramatic uh like lifestyle discrepancy that you get in the big leagues where it's no longer buses between minor league towns. Now you're like getting on a chartered flight. You know, and like all of your your kit is new and fresh and, you know, you got that big league spread in the clubhouse after the game. They didn't just get a bunch of Subway sandwiches or whatever, right? And you got that, you know, you're staying in nice hotels, you're not going to Motel 6s or Holiday Inns anymore. You're at the Ritz-Carlton or wherever. You know, you can tell that, that Josh Palacios is just uh, enjoying that. Oh, he definitely seems to be enjoying it. And that's that's good to see. And, you know, like you said, for, for the Jays, they need him too. You know, it's not just a happy story at the end of a, a season, you know, where I'm thinking of John Birdie, uh, maybe 2017 or 18, when he was still with the Jays, John Gibbons points up to the Jumbotron and kind of says, hey, like you're here. Yeah. But that was the end of a season where the Jays weren't good. You know, it's different when the Jays are trying to compete and Palacios is someone, if you're one of nine people getting at bats for the Blue Jays, then you've got a chance to make an impact. 
Uh, so speaking of folks from that draft, Bo Bichette. Ben, right now, are you uh, more consumed with the way Bo Bichette is playing offensively, where he is barreling everything that he sees and he's having these these big nights and you know putting up a bunch of hits and just kind of looking like Bo Bichette as a hitter? Or are you more intrigued by what you're seeing at shortstop from young Bo as he tries to prove that he can be an everyday shortstop at the big league level? I think I'm more intrigued by the bat because we know he's going to be hitting in the majors for a long time. And man, like the way he's hitting, it's it's very Bo Bichette. Like he has his own way. It's very different than Vlad Jr. or Kevin Biggio. And we'll get to Vlad a bit later. But, you know, Bo swings. He's a hitter. He wants to hit. And he's been hitting really well, especially of late. I mean, it's not just the two home run game and the walk off homer. Although, of course, that's a very impressive example of what he's been doing. But, you know, it's more broadly, he's making really good contact. He's, as we've seen for years now, he's shortening up with two strikes, able to hit the ball to all fields. It's impressive. He's a really good offensive player. Bo's not a big dude. Just the exit velocities that he's able to put up with his frame requires him to swing the bat incredibly hard. Like he he has to generate a lot of bat speed and he has to put everything into every swing. Like you look at that, that homer that he uh, won the game on the other day that walk off like didn't get all of it but like you can even see like when he's swinging at it like he is putting everything into it and that's how he's able to kind of like hit something to the opposite field that carries over the the right field fence a little help from the wind maybe but like my point is for him to put up the exit velocities that he does with his frame is very impressive but then to also make the contact that he does with the way that he swings the bat and how hard he swings like you would think there would be more swing and miss in his game just because of his approach. And there isn't that much. So that's the thing that like offensively, like really stands out to me is the way that he is able to kind of blend these things. And we all know about, you know, how he drops the leg kick with two strikes and and that approach and, you know, how that is, has benefited him. There is a recipe here, I think, for sustained success as a hitter. I think there's also a recipe for a little bit of streakiness, certainly. But when he's hot, like you can see why, like, the hits just pile up and rack up just because of his approach and the way he's putting the ball in play. Exactly. He's got really good bat to ball skills. He does have that power with that pretty all out max effort swing. That's a lot of fun to watch on those no strike and one strike counts. And, and, you know, as long as he hits like this, then the question of where he plays defensively or, you know, who is the Blue Jays shortstop of the future? I don't know. Like to me, that's, a little bit secondary and it's not to say that defense isn't important or that i'm not watching his every play defensively you know very keenly to see how he's responding because i am i i do want to see how he's playing but at this point if he plays the way he's played for the last week or so is a rough start but if he plays the way he's been playing more recently I think you live with that. I think that, you know, week by week, if it continues like that, you go, you go ahead. He's still your shortstop. You don't need to worry about 2025 because, you know, he could be traded by then. He could be, not that it's likely, but he could have an oblique strain. They could have signed Corey Seager by then. There's so many different possibilities that it's just not worth worrying about. No, 
it's not going to be a problem when uh, you know 2022 opening day shortstop Javi Baez is is out there right. and Boba Shetts at second base or whatever. Like, yeah, it's just not it's just not worth getting worked up about, man. Like the defense people, it's like it's like they wish that Ryan Goins was still a Blue Jay. <laughs> like you can have that, right? We can put Ryan Goins a second and John McDonald at short, and you can have some beautiful infield defense yeah. and like make every play and score two runs a game. Or you can have Bo Bichette atop your lineup doing incredible things offensively and making the majority of plays at shortstop. And yes, there will ultimately be, um, you know, inevitably a play here and there that is not made. It will stand out and it will be glaring, but it's okay if you score eight runs a game. Uh, and that's what the Blue Jays try and do. Yeah, that's right. And so they can continue to monitor things. I don't think that means that you give Bo Bichette a lifetime pass of playing shortstop because, you know, I think those days in baseball are kind of shifting too as, as the game shifts to, you know, more of a moving guys around more freely. You're shifting a lot more. It's less of Derek Jeter is the shortstop and he plays there every single day. That's probably not the direction the game is going. So if Bichette struggles if he starts to perform really poorly the conversation changes and if if in one or two weeks time he's throwing the ball all over the place and he's not playing shortstop well we'll have that discussion on atl but i don't know that the point to have it is now no it's fine it's going to sort itself out the blue jays will work it out if he plays himself off shortstop okay it'll just be a second baseman who leagues the league and hits and the blue jays right. will out and sign somebody this offseason or they'll have jordan groshans come up or austin martin or elvis martinez it's not like this is a, a club that looks down it's like shortstop prospect list and it's like there's nobody there it's like everybody is there because they prioritize up the middle because that's how you get the best athletes and then if somebody isn't going to be able to be a big league shortstop every day then you can move them off that position to a corner to the outfield because they're really good athletes and they can do things like that Ludus Gurriel Jr. came up as a shortstop yeah now he's a left fielder so don't worry about it relax Ben who's the Blue Jays starting catcher I would say it's Danny Jansen the last 10 games would suggest that Danny Jansen has started five times and Alejandro Kirk has started five times. I would say it is a timeshare. Yeah, I mean, that's evidence that's pretty hard to refute. Um, you know, I, I think Jansen, by virtue of being reused guy, by virtue of having entered the season with more experience, better defensive skills, I still think he's probably the 1A. But, you know, you're right to say it's probably more of a 1A, 1B than a number one, number two catcher. Just off of playing time. That's all. Like, I kind of feel like the Blue Jays are basically just like, yep, Kirk one day, Jansen the next, Kirk one day, Jansen the next. If anybody wants to step up and take this job and hit, you can have it. Uh, the thing is, neither of them are hitting. And Alejandro Kirk struggling at the big league level a little bit right now. I had the homer the other day, but, you know, we, we have not, uh, you know, seen some of the same back to ball and, and some of the, you know, great plate approach that, that we saw last year in uh 25 plate appearances so like all the people that were you know after alejandro kirk had like gone ham over 25 plate appearances and were like this guy's the greatest hitter to ever walk the earth all those people now have to say ah he's actually the worst hitter ever and he's terrible because it's a similar sample and it hasn't gone well so logically that's the argument to make now well speaking only for myself and not for those unnamed masses that you're referring to there you know i think kirk is still a good hitter i still think there's reason to believe you know you hit that home run the other day against the yankees that's a good sign it, it was inevitable that he was going to have some slumps i think we would have said that even at the height of the alejandro kirk hype 
it's just too difficult to face major league pitching every day or every second day and not struggle at times. So that was going to be something that he encountered. And now we're seeing that. And so his history in the minors, in the majors, in spring training suggests that he has the tools, um, he has the the bat to ball skills, the plate discipline, the power to emerge from those slumps and adjust and still be a good hitter. So that's what I would bet on at this point. But, you know, in the meantime, you're right. They don't have a ton of production from catcher. But just as like if Boba shuts my shortstop, I don't really care about his defense that much. I don't really care about the offense for my catcher that much. Like give me something, give me the occasional home run, like give me the occasional like like give me a good plate appearance, I would say, right? Like see some pitches. You know, it doesn't always have to result in the walk. You don't always have to get on base, but like don't strike out on three pitches. Like see five, six pitches and like work a plate appearance. Give me that. And then just be a really sound defensive catcher and i'm good particularly with the way like this club is constructed and we'll see like if george springer never plays this year that's a little bit different but i i assume that he's coming back and he's just going to lengthen this lineup and it's going to you know a lineup that's already like doing okay offensively will get even better uh like just behind the dish just like block balls call a good game frame up pitches work with your pitcher and, and game call well that's what i'm prioritizing for me, with Danny Jansen, I agree. That's what the expectation is for Danny Jansen. The offense is a bonus. For Kirk, my expectations are still higher. I still think you know, that he should be someone who, or could be someone, and it's tough to say should for a rookie who's dealing with this for the first time. That's a, a big ask or demand to put on someone. But he could be someone who has an 800 OPS as a catcher. And it's not easy to do. Um, we just saw the Yankees and, you know, their tandem of Gary Sanchez and Kyle Higashioka is quite good offensively, um, especially against the Blue Jays, it seems. But when Kirk finds his stride and reaches whatever his equilibrium is in the major leagues, I think he has a chance to be a catcher who gives you more than just a good plate appearance. Ben, who is the Toronto Blue Jays best hitter? Vladdy. Yeah, Vladdy. Guerrero base hit to left field. Bo's going to be waved around third. Upton will not make a throw as Vladdy's had a perfect night at the plate and the Blue Jays have put up a 10 spot. Guerrero drives this one in the alley and this one's going to get down. Up against the wall. Bichette's in to score. Guerrero's headed for second. The throw is offline and Vladdy Guerrero has his second hit of the night. Bring it a drive deep to center field. Get up, get out of here Vladdy Guerrero Jr. with his second home run of the season. And the Blue Jays have scored three. In the Top 10 in MLB. Like, yeah. legit through uh, a, a very small sample of two weeks. But it is all coming together in a, a very, very big way. All the potential, all the things that we've been saying for years and years and years. Uh, not really that long, but feels like years and years and years uh, is finally being realized uh, at the big league level, uh, every plate appearance uh, has looked better than the last. He just looks tremendous. There's no other way to say it. He looks amazing. Everything seems to be coming together for Vladdy. It's really reminiscent of you know stories that we've heard on this podcast and elsewhere from John Schneider about you know hey this is what Vladdy was like at Double A that year he won Eastern League MVP and it was like you couldn't fool him you couldn't control at bats against him he was just hitting lasers everywhere and we're starting to see contact that's 110 115 120 miles per hour off the bat on a regular basis and then he combines that with tremendous plate discipline that we did not see in 2019, that we did not see last year. 
he is showing much more ability to determine what's a ball or a strike, make really good decisions when it comes to what he's going to attack. And when he does swing, he's making great contact. So that's just the offensive side. We can get to the base running, get to the defense. But when you look at Vladdy offensively, this is a player who is an impact bat, the best hitter in a lineup that has a chance to be pretty good. Yeah, it's the old Vladdy Jr. Yeah. Again, right? Like it's the it's the 19-year-old version of Vladdy Jr., right? Like it's the guy who's like doing Juan Soto stuff in the box. You know, he's shaking his head when he takes like a, a pitcher's pitch for a ball just off the plate. And he's like, you know, tapping his foot. And like you can see him like thinking along with the pitcher and you can see him having a plan and he's not deviating from it like that's the biggest difference is i think last season you know a ball strike call wouldn't go his way or he'd chase something that he knows he shouldn't and then he would expand later in the plate appearance he would deviate from his plan he would get frustrated uh and get away from his approach we're not seeing that we're seeing him like think along with the pitcher if he chases uh, a slider early in a plate appearance he's probably not going to chase it again later in the plate appearance like he's going to learn from what happened and kind of digest what the pitcher is showing him and make those pitch to pitch adjustments that made him so great as a 19 year old when like evaluators saw him doing that stuff as a teenager making pitch to pitch adjustments having an approach being as advanced as he can be that's why everybody was like holy crap this kid could be good because he's already doing this stuff at 19 and we all know he hits the ball hard as hell when he gets a pitch to hit on the plate and he can just like absolutely punish strikes when he can get to them you combine that with the plate approach and you might have like a really really special hitter here uh there was just a little bit of an adjustment period i guess like in the big leagues uh just kind of getting used to how he was being approached and how pitchers were attacking him and you know the things maybe not coming quite as easily as they did in the minors um but you know Raw tools are there. The exit velocities are huge. And now if you layer in that ability to execute a, a selective, disciplined plate approach and make quick adjustments, look out. That's it. Your words right there. It kind of reminds me of something someone said a couple of years ago with Vladdy when he was not in his best condition. And the person said, if Vladdy is ever able to get into better shape, then watch the blank out. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Like it's really a fearsome hitter that I am sure opposing pitchers do not want to face Vlad Jr. right now. He's playing so well. And then when he does hit the ball, if he has to leg a double into a triple, if he has to score from third on a wild pitch, he can do that because he's moving better. And he's playing better defense at first base, showing you know incredible flexibility. That's probably the most notable part is just uh, his splits and how he's been doing that. But beyond just that kind of impressive gymnastic feat he's making better decisions when it comes to which balls that he goes after making better decisions when it comes to um, where he might throw a baseball so we're seeing a more complete player and that's something that you know we suspected could happen and we're waiting to see but we just hadn't seen it until this year yeah, I remember somebody telling me um, on one of my many journeys to see Vladi in the minor leagues. I forget where it was. It might have been Lansing or Bluefield or wherever. Uh, somebody said to me, look, this guy like works really hard and like minds his P's and Q's and does everything he needs to do away from the game in terms of recovery and preparation and just like being a, a high-level professional athlete. He could be a Hall of Famer. If he doesn't do that stuff, he'll just merely be like a good big league hitter. Like the floor is like good big league hitter 
you know so the the ceiling is through the roof and yeah it does seem like now Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is really taking care of a lot of those things kind of around um just what goes into four plate appearances in a game he's really taking care of all that ancillary stuff and uh i think if you're the blue jays you hope that the results that he's seeing and the success that he's having and just kind of the confidence and good vibes that he's feeling encourage him to do more of that yes and to take it to the next level because we talk about it's not like the conditioning issue is over you know it's not like the you know preparation recovery stuff is just like fixed now like that's an ongoing process over years and years and years right like him maintaining his conditioning and staying in good shape and like being in a place where he's not going to be super fatigued and not getting hurt and suffering injuries. That is a continual process for the rest of his career. It's not just something that happened in one off season between 2020 and 2021. That is something that he's going to have to continue working at. So if you're the Blue Jays, I think you just hope that this positive feedback encourages him to continue doing that uh, and to not fall off track again, uh, which could create a setback. That all makes sense because the gap is pretty big, right? The gap between what Vladdy has been for the first two weeks of the season and what we saw for the first two years of his major league career, those are two pretty different players. And the current version is way better. So I guarantee the Blue Jays want to see him continuing to put in that work because as you say, it will take continued work behind the scenes to get to the results that we see on the field. That's going to be it for us. I want to thank our producers, Amal Delich and Mike Tassoni. He's Ben Nixon-Smith. Taking us out this week is an artist straight from the 70s, but not from the 70s. Art Deco dropped Trespasser back in 2018 and now is set to release in standard definition on April 23rd. From that record, from the fine folks of Paperbag Records, here's Art Deco with Head Rush. <laughs>